Welcome to our show. We are at 7258 with Lieutenant General Jay Silveria at the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, special guest today, I have uh, Captain Dylan Small from the uh, Peak Performance Center. Uh, Dylan, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, an honor to be here with you, sir. Excited to talk about this topic. Outstanding. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dylan uh, works at the, uh, at the Peak Performance Center uh, here at the United States Air Force Academy, trying to help our cadets uh, deal with some of the stresses and, and really try to in, improve their performance. So, so, Dylan, I think we have to start. Tell me uh, first a little bit about your career field. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a licensed clin- clinical psychologist. And uh, we've got a number of us in the Air Force. We also uh, have some social workers and psychiatrists, and, and together we make a team that typically builds up a mental health clinic. Uh, there are mental health clinics really at most bases around the world, and uh, we're leveraged and utilized as a performance enhancement for our active duty force. And we know that so much about our active duty force being able to perform well, feel comfortable and confident in high-stress situations is ensuring that their dependents and their families taken care of too. So across the Air Force, that's what we look like. Uh, here at the Air Force Academy, the Peak Performance Center is this unique uh, embedded clinic, really. We, we exist inside of Saijan, so we are close proximity to our cadets. They can just walk down and see us. Uh, we've got it. Are there? Well, mm-hmm. let me let me hold you yeah, hold you sure, for sure. one second there. So you mentioned the rest of the Air Force mm-hmm. that that uh, other mental health clinics around the United States Air Force uh, uh, and and the people from your career field, your specialty, mm-hmm. and and your your specialized training. Uh, but uh, but as you mentioned, something a little bit different here yeah. in the in the Peak Performance Center. That's so, right. So separate that a little bit for me on. You know, there's mental health clinics, as you mentioned, around the United States Air Force mm-hmm. that are that are about helping airmen. But we, you know, we have a different population here in the cadets. Mm-hmm. And so help me separate what the Peak Performance Center is and then tell me about how that's different from other mental health clinics at uh, another Air Force base Absolutely. that you've been at. Yeah, sure. So this is a special duty for us. We're called in uh, to work with this population. And and like you said, sir, this is a unique place. Uh, This is four years where we develop officers. uh, We're turning out lieutenants and, and, um, it's, it can be stressful to develop young lieutenants. We are not afraid of stress. We embrace stress. Um, this is different than BMT down at Lackland, for example, which is just a number of weeks, and then they're going to their tech schools, et cetera. We have cadets here for four years, and during their four years, they're jumping out of airplanes. They're jumping off 10-meter platforms. They're going through GRs. They're meeting in front of um, different ranks and, and really having to show themselves as uh, promising officers. That, that can be stressful for a prolonged period of time. The, um, the environment of USAFA is a powerful uh, arena to test the edges of abilities. And we know when we look at high performers, whether it's in sport or business or special operators, they exist on the fringes of, um, on the edges of their skill level. And then they come back and they recover, they recuperate, and then they can go back out to those edges. And USAFA is four years of testing those edges. The Peak Performance Center uh, exists to equip cadets to manage the stress, the worry, um, the, the skill building of becoming an officer and testing those limits for those, that four-year chunk of time. Um, because this is unlike any institution that the Air Force has, uh, we do need kind of a special little clinic to help manage through the different, um, the different um uh, edges that a cadet might approach. And, and so you can think about basic cadet training and the minute they step off of that bus, how, how they are met with a fringe of, of 
they're feeling comfortable and confident. Oh man, I'm, I'm getting hollered at and told to stand in a position that, that I'm, I maybe don't know yet. And so we're training the brain and the body and their craft in a, as being a cadet in that, in that moment. It starts then. And um, we want to uh, uh, partner with them in building those skill sets so that they can manage stress effectively. And then once they graduate, they begin commanding forces. Um, they've got a skill set that, that not only do they have in their toolbox, but they know how to use. They are, they are experts at wielding these tools that we've helped them with. So cadets are, cadets are clearly you know, coming to you uh, if, if, they have, if they have struggles mm-hmm. and if they have issues, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but what I hear you saying is that you're that you're also trying to, you know, take cadets that maybe, as you mentioned, aren't necessarily struggling, but mm-hmm. they're trying to improve their performance. Yes, yes, sir, absolutely. Um, we know that this population is high performing. They have got everything um, uh, that, that that they need to perform well. They've got the cognitive abilities. They've got the physical abilities, and then we know in a lot of research for our folks that that attain high levels of performance in, in again multiple fields that it's not just talent. In fact, talent sometimes can be a detriment to high performance. It's work ethic and and being encouraged to work hard. So so a lot of these cadets come to us having learned about themselves in life. I'm just pretty naturally smart, naturally athletic. I'm good at these things. And um, so I should really rock and roll well at USAFA. And then we talked about getting off that bus and all of a sudden having this moment of like, oh man, maybe I'm not as be- as good as I thought I was. It's it- the first real challenge for a lot of them. Absolutely. It's the first real challenge. And we want to embrace that. It, it's so good. It can be painful. That can be hard. But we want to embrace that moment, uh, live in that moment, push the edge of that moment, and then, and then help build those skills to manage through them real time. And when they learn, I've done this and I, and I succeeded, I can trust myself in this moment. Maybe in this one, that's also difficult. I can, I can handle that experience also. And then uh, just keep pushing forward on those edges. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned that uh, within this career field, I'm, there's, there's clearly, clearly a lot of science involved. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the research uh, yeah. that's involved. Are, how, are you, how are you connected, say, with the rest of the Air Force or maybe other universities mm-hmm. within this age group? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, we, in, in the practice of psychology, we, we call it both the scientist-practitioner model, and it, and it has to be both. Uh, so much of what we do is grounded in, in the research of treatment. So what do we know works? What do we know about the structure and function of the brain? What do we know about neural chemistry? And then what do we know about the body's response to stress? So how are these all integrated? The science then informs the practice because then we got to go and do it. I'm going to sit in front of someone and I'm going to work them through some sort of process. So let's think differently perhaps about um, jumping off a seven and a half meter platform and we're going to work you up to the 10. Let's think differently about it. But we also have to understand how your brain is processing the circumstance, how your thought process Process is either going a positive or negative direction, and then how some of the neurochemistry is, is behaving too. Let's calm down the body, let's get your brain right, and then you're much more likely to push on that edge and make a decision to jump off of this. So the science and practice. Um, research is continually being churned out, uh, not only about this age population, but our, our elite athletes, our high performers. This is an area that is generating a lot of interest lately. Um, grit is, is sort of a topic that's been talked around with Certainly, Angela Duckworth. Absolutely, yeah. Her work, yes. And, and uh, Brene Brown is another one who's kind of looked at some leadership and daring leadership. And, and um, her, she goes a little bit more on the, on the vein of some vulnerability and grit encompasses some vulnerability, too. So this is a topic that we are, are really passionate about in the field of psychology now and really fits so well for this population we have here. Um, 
So um, we're currently working with RAND, actually, as we develop a, a, a new um, a program to, to help make sure that we're having some better outcomes. We want to keep pushing on good outcomes for our cadets in terms of a bunch of different factors in their life. Um, we want them to succeed here. We want them to thrive, not just survive. So if they leave exhausted and worn out, um, uh, we feel like we've not done our job. We want them to leave feeling comfortable, confident, um, uh, uh, motivated, feeling like I know exactly what I need to do to succeed in these moments that are stressful for me. So what are the, uh, perhaps, uh, say, the next level of detail there? What are yeah. some of the more specific services that, that you offer? Uh, great. Uh, I appreciate that question um, because we, are, we, we do have a couple different facets. The, the primary element of the Peak Performance Center um, is, is what we kind of call a prototypical outpatient model. And, and what I mean by that is uh, a cadet, if they don't feel good or or maybe they're feeling great and they just want to elevate their performance they can just walk in and um, schedule an appointment with one of us so we have two social workers and a psych i'm the psychologist they can just simply walk in tell us kind of what's going on we'll spend about 90 minutes with them so we have to work with their schedule and what we call that an intake and we just learn a lot about their life so where did they grow up um, what did their life kind of look like growing up? Uh, how were they told about success and failure? And what, what were they led to believe about, you know, if you got a C versus an A, how did your family respond to that? Because that really informs a lot of how we think about that person as they're at USAFA. And they're going to experience what, what they're going to call failure. Um, and, and Which will be a B, right? Well, yeah, yeah, which will be, be a B, yes, right? right? The exactly first, right. First B that they've yes. ever gotten. Or, right. or even an A, and they just felt like they had to study an extra hour. I mean, that's the population we're working with, which we love. We, this, that's who we want to cultivate and, and grow. Um, but um, oftentimes this is a population that strives for perfection, and perfection is hard because it doesn't allow for failure. The minute you failed, perfection is off the table. It's, it's gone. And, um, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm perfect. I've always been perfect. So we really look more towards what we call excellence. And, and, of course, excellence is something in the Air Force we talk about frequently. In the mental health field, excellence is just that constant striving to get a little better, a little better, a little better. And so failure, we embrace. Bring it on. In fact, if I don't fail at some point, I'm not going to learn about myself. I'm not going to learn about what area I need to grow. Failure is an okay thing. So our outpatient services uh, are one-to-one, face-to-face. You meet with one of us and we, we, we develop a treatment plan. We kind of talk about, okay, where are we going to go? What are our goals? And we typically meet for about six to 12 sessions. That'd be an average length of time. Uh, depending on what's going on or what the cadet's life looks like, it can be every week, every other week. And sometimes we'll push it to about every three weeks while they really work. We'll say, okay, here's your homework this week uh, or the next three weeks. And then you really get to practice it the next three weeks on your own and come back in. Let's talk about how it went. We'll kind of move stuff around and we might say, hey, I think you got this. It's time to go do this. And what's uh, for you, mm -hmm. what's what's success on the on the backside? <laughs> you know, yeah. eight, eight sessions later, mm -hmm. you know, you spent time. You know, you you push somebody. What's what's success yeah. look like for yeah. you? I always say my job is to work myself out of a job. So, so if I can get our cadets to the point that they feel like, I do not need to go there. I know exactly what my brain is doing. I know how to change my thought process. I know how to calm down my body's response to stress. Um, or if I'm feeling a little depressed or if I'm having a hard time sleeping or if I'm, you know, whatever. I, I don't know how to schedule in my life um, uh, time to study and then time to play or recuperate. And if we've met for six to 12, eight sessions, and then they say, Kevin Small, I, I can do this, then that is success. That, that's the moment that I know we've got exactly what we need. I need to equip them with those skills. And then the, the problem solving, the thought process to do it on their own real time and apply it to any situation. So it's not just GRs. Uh, it's not just jumping out of a 
twin otter. Uh, it, it might be standing in front of Congress, for example, at some point, right? Like being able to apply I've all these skills. I've heard people have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. And I've heard it's stressful. <laughs> I mean, so I've heard that. I can only yeah. imagine. Yeah, so success for us is really getting us to the point where we have worked ourselves out of a job, where we feel like um, we, meaning myself and whoever, whomever I'm working with, that cadet feels comfortable and confident enough to say, I, I can do this. Yeah. So <clears throat> I understand that you also have, call it uh, nothing else, but there's some toys down there, right? Yeah, absolutely. You've know, got some chairs, you know, talked about, you know, the there's a lot going around about what's down in there. Yeah. So tell me about yeah. some of those things that are down there. We do. We have some chairs. We, we, we call them relaxation rooms, and, um, and indeed, that's exactly what they are. We've got two chairs, um, and, and they are like fully immersive massage chairs. They will cover your forearm. It's really pretty great. They'll massage your feet even. Um, and then um, the room is, is lit uh, well. It's, it's kind of dimly lit, but we use a light that um, might stimulate some um, feel-good hormones in the brain. Um, and and it, on the surface level, right, it's just nice for a cadet to have a place to relax. We've got, they've got roommates and all these kinds of things. So it's nice to have a place that's just theirs for a little bit of time. And a massage always feels good. On the science level of this, um, we cannot push the edges of performance physically or mentally uh, and succeed unless we recuperate. It has to be this constant process of pushing on the edge, pushing on the edge, pushing on the edge, and then coming back and recuperating. And every time we go back to the edge, we can maybe stay there a little longer. We might be able to push it a little bit further, but we've always got to come back and, and recuperate. We have to rest. And um, so, so on, on the, um, gosh, the boon or the advertising side, right, we have a relaxation room, come and relax, and here's a massage. On the science side, it is a place for our cadets to spend some time recuperating, resting, so that then when they leave that room, um, they maybe feel a little bit more motivated or energized or ready to go study or ready to interact with um, a fellow squad mate that maybe they have to have a hard conversation with or um, uh, go um, uh, compete in some sort of athletic you know, facility or something like that. So um, uh, we have these relaxation rooms. We love them. If a cadet comes in, we don't take their name. They, they have to be buzzed in because we're a locked clinic, and, um, but we don't take their name. It, it's basically just free, free access. And, and I'll say, so we've had a lot of AOCs and AMTs lately that are coming down to use it too on the off times, which is great. We, we highly encourage that too. Well, is there, is there one reserved for a superintendent? There is there be. one of those? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll make sure it's held for you. Yeah. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a couple other things. We do what's called biofeedback. And um, just real briefly, it's, it's a small monitor that kind of watches heart rate and, and it's heart rate vari variability technically, but kind of like the beats. Your heart rate is uh, the palpitations of your heart and then some breathing. And um, it'll show you on this little scale kind of if, if you're a little bit activated or a little bit tense. And there's a part of your brain called the amygdala and it responds, it, it interacts with the back of your brain that controls all the automatic processes of your bodies, your, your body, your heart rate, your blood pressure, your digestion. You're breathing unless you think about it, and then the minute we talk about it, 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 it now we now we control it. But um, biofeedback is one me mechanism or method we use to help cadets learn when they're when they're responding physiologically to stress in a maladaptive way. And if we let that amygdala response, if we let that stress drive us when we're taking a test, um, when we're inter interacting with somebody. And it has too much control over us. We we typically respond in ways that we wish we wouldn't have if we were 
calm and cool and collected and under control. And so this biofeedback mechanism can help to teach the cadet how to regulate that body response. Um, we have a couple other things coming down the pike, maybe some VR stuff for the water survival, but um, we, we, we're, we don't want to be too quick on jumping on that before we can test it clinically. If we make cadets do this and, um, and we haven't validated it yet, then it can be rough when, they're, when their grades you know, are, are, are you, yeah, tied yeah, to that. Absolutely, but, yeah, that um, makes sense. But we have a, a couple things coming down mm-hmm. the pike too. So we, we are aimed to support this cadet population in, in its unique kind of areas of need. Well, let's talk about the, the population a little bit. Yeah. So certainly in higher education, I'm around other university, you know, presidents and mm-hmm. administrators. Absolutely. Uh, and they talk at times about increasing mental health issues in, in this age population. Yeah. And so I, I First off, is it really that it's increasing? Is it more, are we more aware mm-hmm. and more responsive to them? Or do you think in this age population, we're seeing more mental health issues? I mean, what do, what do you know from the science side? Of yeah. That? You know, I think, I think a, a really safe answer could just be yes. <laughs> and um, so let me delve into that just a little bit. Certainly, we are becoming more and more aware. We're becoming more and more um, active in both the prevention side of the house, which requires us to do a little bit of screening for it, as well as um, as well as the treatment side. So, so let's be quick to get people help. And um, you know, we've seen this in in, in um, some of our figureheads or, or public um, public people that have had their own struggles, maybe, and been more vocal about it. And some people that perhaps should have gotten help or we wish would have gotten help and they didn't. And then later we see that they were struggling with some stuff and everyone says, oh, my gosh, we just wish they would have got the help when they needed it. Um, I think uh, our connected age or social media age has some tremendous benefits and some tremendous drawbacks, too. But one of them is we have platforms now that transcend age groups and continents where we can talk about topics. So I think we do a better job at paying attention to at screening for Um now, the, the question of is there a higher prevalence is a good one. Um, there's, there's some research that shows that as we get older, we tend to develop a higher g- level of grit or basically like passion and perseverance for long-term goals. We can stick with it. Um, it's probably true that the younger you are, and if we think more about um, generations, that's probably a better way to think about it. A younger generation probably has less grit than an older generation. We can see that empirically. Um, Curiously, there's a there's the opposite effect when it comes to IQ. Our younger generations typically have better, higher IQs than the older generations, called the Flynn effect. And we think this is just because we're able to instruct people and talk more about abstract concepts. We can think more critically. We're connected to more information now. But it might be that having access to all of this information, um, this sense that we're always on a public stage when it comes to Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or I don't even know all the things anymore, but they're endless, it seems. Um, um, perhaps that has made, made us more vulnerable to some of these um, human conditions, and they are human conditions, and, and we're, not as able, we're not as able to overcome them. And we often talk about depression or anxiety as like the common cold of mental health. It just happens. Some days we just feel off. And there are times where they become so ingrained or so repetitive that it becomes a little bit more of a disorder. And the word disorder just simply means out of order. Right. So something's a little out of order. Um, but it, it might be that um, our younger generations have a new set of, um, of eyes, public social eyes that they feel are watching them. And they've not developed some of the grit or ability to kind of stick in with some difficult stuff yet. 
And yet they've got this um, really elaborate sense of connectedness from a communal perspective across the globe and this sense that I should be doing something bigger because this person I follow has however many followers. Certainly can see all of those others and see much more worldly aware, aware of so much. So, Dylan, uh, what would be your advice? Close us out here today with with what some of your advice to cadets. Sure, sure. And, and maybe I'll preface it first by saying um, I, I feel like I, I, um, I own a very small market of human performance and behavior, and I've only done so many things. And um, so I am one part of a huge team that can support these cadets. And, and, um, and I want to I be honest about my experiences and where I've been and what I've done and, and not overstep that. And so I'll be cautious to say that I've assembled a team uh, around me. And, and so that would be my first piece of advice to these basic cadets. You have got to have a team, a group of people around you that you trust, um, that motivate you, that understand you. And um, that can look like parents, uh, people from, uh, from um, faith uh, communities. This can look like even individuals that they're not maybe um, uh, interpersonally related to. I mean, it can be someone that they aspire to be at some point, uh, someone that they watch from afar and, and appreciate what they do in life. But assembling a team that you can go to and that you can watch for like, what would be my next step? Or if, if I could have a goal, an aspiration, it'd look probably something like that person. So having a team to back you, to challenge you, to support you, and part of a team is, is also then that you support them. And, and something powerful happens when you are equipped enough to be able to coach or instruct someone else. And we have that beautifully woven into the cadet structure here where they begin to coach. But you have to know your stuff if you're teaching someone else. And um, so that team, I think, is a critical piece. Now, that can be hard during the first few weeks of BCT because, you know, they're kind of stripped away from what they felt like these were my support structures. But they're going to be forced into a team and they get to learn to be cohesive in that BCT structure. So form your team. And then um, the, the second one is um, to, to really trust yourself as you push the edges. So they have to prepare themselves to trust themselves as they push towards the edge. I've been asked a couple of times, this is so funny. Um, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And so my, my group of friends, I guess, is having kiddos and they're becoming young humans. You know, they say like, what, what would you say is that really, what's the most important thing to teach a kid? And it's probably just like, they need to trust and love other people. Right. And um, there's a brilliant, brilliant article by a guy named Michael Gervais, Dr. Michael Gervais. He works with the Seattle Seahawks. He helped Felix Baumgartner jump out of the stratus. And, um, and, and he wrote something similar to this. He said, actually, no, it's not to trust other people. The, really, the most important thing is to trust themselves first. If we can get people to trust themselves and know that they can do this and, and have the belief in themselves in hard situations, then they can support other people and, and kind of move along and, and really push those edges. So I would say two things this basic cadet, you've got to form your team and you've got to rely on that team. Um, and then you have to trust yourself as you push on these edges because edges need to be pushed. This is a good thing. It's uncomfortable. And then you'll have time to recuperate and rest, but you got to trust yourself in that process. Well, Dylan, that's, that's great advice. Mm-hmm. We're looking forward to watching these basic cadets take on the, yeah. the build the team, trust themselves. And uh, I'm sure some of them you know, as they challenge themselves, are going to come in and see you yep. uh, and, and some of your team. So, mm-hmm. 
Uh, Dylan, I can't thank you enough, uh, not for just doing this today, but for what, what your team does down there. Yeah. Cadets that have struggles, but cadets that are improving their performance. Uh, we, need, we need the peak performance out of all of our cadets to become the best officers in the United States Air Force, and, and you are a part of that. Yes, so, sir. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you very much for, for being here. Thank you very much for, for agreeing to do this with me today, and uh, thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, it's a privilege for me also, I, and I really, it's a privilege to be here and work with this population. Outstanding. Yeah. We are at 7258 with Lieutenant General Jay Silveria at the Air Force Academy. Thank you.